This is a great series to do this tithers rights right in the middle of discussing covenant and understanding so that we can step into the rights that God has given us. And we're going to try and understand this because it's sometimes it's how many of you know sometimes it sounds like we're kind of making unreasonable demands of God. Right. You know, you're kind of saying, okay, God, okay, I've given my three bucks and 50 cents. Now pour it on me, Lord. <laughs> but what we need to understand is that, in fact, that's how covenant works. And if I can just take a little bit of a side action from a teaching that'll come six or seven weeks from now. Um, we need to understand that we live in a world that, uh, what's, I've, I've talked to you about it before, it's in Latin words, quid pro quo. That's the world we live in. Quid pro quo means this for that, which means I'll do this and you do that and we make an exchange. And so I exchange $2 for a candy bar because to me, the candy bar is worth a little bit less than $2 because I'm hungry right now. And to Mike, who's selling me the candy bar, the candy bar is worth a little bit less than $2, so he's willing to make a profit, and I'm willing to make a profit in the sense that I want it, and I want it really badly. Now, if he were going to try and sell me that candy bar for $2.5 million, I wouldn't want the candy bar anymore. You understand? It would lose its quid pro quo relationship. Does that make sense? And that's the world that we live in. It's the world that we've grown up in. It's, the, it's been the Christian world and the, and the Jewish world from the beginning of Jewish world. Right. It's always been this exchange with God based on a, a set of rules and regulations. At least that's what people thought. That's what we have come to think. Our world has taught us that that's how it works. The problem comes... What happens when I need a $50 million miracle because I've got a terminal disease that the doctor says there is absolutely nothing we can do, and you're thinking, God, here's my $3.50 tithe. You're thinking, no, that's not going to cut it. It's not that you're thinking it cognitively. It's not like, oh, I don't measure up to be asking for what I'm asking for, but because of the world that we grew up in, we know that's not a deal that I would take, so it's kind of unlikely that it's a deal God would take. Because I wouldn't pay two and a half million dollars for a candy bar. I don't care what candy bar it is. Elvis might have eaten the other half. I still won't pay two and a half million dollars for it. And so we lose our ability because we don't understand covenant. We lose our ability to create the right relationship expectancy from God. So let me ask you a question. When... Uh, her name is Megan, married, his name is Harry, Harry or William, I couldn't rem- quite remember. Right. When Megan married Harry, Megan is a common person, you know, in the way we do those royalty kind of issues. Megan is not a royal person, she's not from a royal bloodline, and she was successful in her own right. If you've all seen Suits, you know that she's successful in her own right but certainly nowhere near as successful as the House of Windsor. How many of you know that? There's a bit of a difference in the, there's a gap there. But how many of you know when she married Harry, she got half? Isn't that true? All she did was say, I do. It no longer married who had what, mattered who had what. What was now in covenant means everything that's Harry's is Meghan's and everything that's Meghan's is Harry's. It's just, that's it. And zip, it happened in a moment. And so 
oftentimes when we come into these covenant relationships, it's very typical and we have a historical precedent that says you don't marry out of your class. How many of you have ever heard stuff like that? If you've studied certain, like India, for example, is very solid this way, but the English did the same thing. It, it, you know, go back a few hundred years and a commoner never married a, the future king or the potential future king. I mean, there's obviously he's way down the line now because of babies, but he's still a future king. And he married a, just a common, that would never have happened before. And still, it would have been a covenant in the twisted way that we have it in the North American culture, you're still two covenant, you're still kind of equals. You marry inside your class, right? The woman would, you wouldn't marry somebody who had nothing. And, st- and you, if you have everything, it would never have happened. Nowadays, it does happen. All the time it happens. Because it's built on different sequences, different ways of processing that, that marriage issue. So because of that, we think, and we've historically got this idea that you just don't get something for nothing. God in his infinite magnificence is never going to be bothered with little old you. It's just the way we have been trained to think. But that's completely inaccurate. And what God has to do, I were taking time to get this covenant issue settled in our hearts is the way, so that we can go to the altar like Megan went to the altar. Megan, you, if you had any idea, you know, she's, you know, uh, she's a hurricane in her own right. She was not going to that altar thinking she was anything less than Harry. Do you understand? She shouldn't have anyways. She should have, they both should have been coming there as people 100% invested in the relationship and holding nothing back. What we have to do now is we have to begin the process of purifying the way we think about our relationship with God. And we're going we're gonna to step through it kind of slowly, if, you can, if I can apologize in advance, because there's so many issues that, that pertain to a covenant that we have now had thousands of years of, of, of our Western history where covenants have been completely removed from the equation of life simply because even the Jewish nation, they were a nation of laws and rules. It's from that foundation that we bring this rule of law that is how we run Western world now. So we don't have to fight each other anymore. If I have a problem with somebody, I just take them to court and let somebody else listen to both sides. I don't have to get mad at the person I'm fighting. I just need to have this this resolved because we have a difference of opinion. Because of that, we figure it all out with courts. I never have to have to, tr- I'm never required to trust you really because I have a legal system that backs me up and I can fall back on the legal system if something were to go wrong in my relationship with you. That's not covenant. Covenant is from a time when there was no law, there was no rules, there was no police, there was no army, there was no government to speak of. There was nobody that was going to back you up in the decisions that yeah, was all on you. And covenant became the mechanism by which a culture like that survived and had some level of rule or order in it because it was a system built on honor. If I said it, I was going to do it. And if I didn't do it, then it was going to be kaputs for me. And honor became the most important commodity 
that, uh, a co- that a covenant society had. If you took the honor out of the society, which is kind of like our society, you know, we, we yell at our leaders and we make fun of them and we Facebook p- cartoons of them and stuff. We've just got to a, con- a culture where honor has been removed. If there is no honor, you know, if I don't honor you, it means that I don't honor myself. Do you know that? Yeah. If I don't treat your words with any weight, it means you shouldn't treat mine with any. And so when we develop a culture like that, now covenant is a meaningless concept because all I'm giving you is, a, is my word. I'm just giving you, it's nothing written down. There's no proof that I did what I said what I said. And so there's no, there's no evidence that I can take you to court on because I'm, it's just words that I spoke to you. But how many of you know you probably have some scriptures ringing in your head right now that say your yes be yes and your no be no? It means that, you're, that a system like we have it where everything's contractual and signed and there's oaths being done and all these, that's not the way that a truly Christian culture should, be, should have evolved. <clears throat> it should have been a, a, a culture of covenant, but covenant not in hearts of covenant breakers. Because as you know, our Western history with covenants is not super good. We would make covenants only so that we could get you to blink while we stole everything you had. And so because of that, even the concept of covenant or treaties or agreements or these type of things, they're just written in 72 pages so that I can sneak in there the escape clause in the middle. Can I tell you? There is no escape clause in covenant. There isn't one. If God comes to you and he says, by his stripes you are healed... From his side of the equation, there is no escape clause. There is no reason at all ever, and I will give you one exception, but it's gonna be, I'll need to clarify it for you. There's no reason whatsoever that you should ever have the thought that God is not going to be faithful to his side. A covenant doesn't work like that. It me, it, it, if I break a covenant, it means I have broken the very nature of my own self. If I make a promise to somebody, I break that promise. I'm not just a liar in the sense that I lied one time. It is, I am a liar. Because if I will lie one time, how many of you know, I no longer have that gateway in my life. If I lie once, I'll lie a hundred times, right? That's what breaking a covenant would do in the olden days. If you broke the covenant, you, were, you had a, just a yellow streak painted on your back and nobody would ever treat you with any respect ever again because you have already demonstrated, I'm not a covenant person. Don't enter into a covenant with me. I've already proved to you that I won't keep it. God, how many of you can already guess, there ain't nobody in heaven painting a yellow line down God's back, right? And so when, but the, the key to this is that, can I get to the place where I can honestly understand that the only thing between me and my miracle is the doubt that I won't get it. It's got to hold that, because I, I think you mentioned that just a minute ago from the pulpit, right? When it comes to your healing, the only thing we have to deal with is why are you doubting? Right? Can I, can I oh, I'm just jumping ahead here so much, and I've got so many notes I want to get to, because I know everybody's here because we're ready for a really great message tonight, and it is going to be great. And this is cool, too. And so I'll leave it at that. You'll have to come back for the, other, for the next piece. Okay, if you have not been here, uh, get the notes. Culture, we are not, you should know that we are not living in a covenant culture. 
if you use it, the covenant and quid pro quo cultures are completely on the opposite ends of the equation. The reason I don't trust you is the reason I need a prenup. It's the reason that I need an agreement. It's the reason that I need a, uh, a, a lawyer to stand between the two of us, okay? Uh, the objective of a quid pro quo system, now you can watch how, how destructive these two forces are, okay? In a quid pro quo system, my objective is to make a profit, okay? In every arrangement that I have in my life, I'm always looking to get a little bit more than I'm giving. That's what a profit is. So Mike is gonna sell me the candy bar. He paid $1.50 for the candy bar. He's gonna sell it for $2 because he wants to make a profit, right? I need a snack and I know that I can go and get a real snack for a dollar, but I want the candy bar. I'm willing to pay the premium for a candy bar, so I'm gonna pay $2. I'm perceiving myself to be getting a profit. Okay, how does profit work? How, well, if you, were, if you were in business and you had to say, I want you to increase profit, how do you do that? Two ways, right? I either increase uh, or decrease what I am giving into the relationship or into the product, or I decrease what I am, or excuse me, I, I decrease what I'm giving or I increase what I'm getting. How many of you said that's two, that's how you're gonna do it. That's how most people run their marriage relationships, is that I'm constantly looking to make a profit, and in order to do so, I know I was a good boy yesterday, but I'm gonna be a little bit less of a good boy today, because I want more profit. I'm always looking for, my soul is always looking for what? What is the one thing my soul is always looking for? More. It's always looking for more. So because of that, when I go into a quid pro quo relationship, can I have the rope? Uh, quid pro quo relationship, I am always looking to get more out of the relationship and put less in. That's why you have a quid pro quo relationship and over a period of time, that relationship becomes threadbare because both parties are looking to get more out of the relationship, progressively more out of it by putting progressively less into it. And slowly but surely, that system is gonna break apart, which is okay if you're looking for a painter, because you might have done your, you know, you, and you probably noticed this when you hire a trade, the first time you hire him, he's gonna do a great job or she's gonna do a great job. You leave him alone for two weeks and come back and look at what they're doing. Two weeks from now, they're, they're, the paint's going on threadbare, right? You can see through it. They're not doing it as good as they used to. Why? It's no big deal. They're just looking to make more profit. So they put more paint, they put less paint on, they put, spend less time on it, and they charge you more money because they're looking for more profit. But consider now, let me have that. Consider now that we have the, 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 the how do I get this done? Right? Take that, Sandy. Okay. So this is what, stand over there. This is actually, Tina, you go get the other side of that. That way it'll make some sense for people. No, you can't shut the fan off. I'm sweating my head off up here. We just added some more wattage up on lights here. So, okay, can you see this? This is the, this is the typical quid pro quo relationship, right? And so what I'm doing, you have to brace yourself. What I'm doing is I'm pulling my way, right? And Tina is pulling her way. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm always trying to get more can I tell you, this is what most marriage relationships look like. Most covenant, most covenant, they really do look like this, folks. 
and if you believe that. Okay, now I want to show you, I want to show you what a covenant looks like. It looks like this. Uh, okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to pull on this one, and I'm going to pull on this one. Okay? So you pull, and I pull, and I pull, and you pull, and we keep on pulling as the covenant does what? It, it, it pulls us closer and closer and closer together. That's why our system in our world just cannot work. No matter how hard we try, no matter how to, you can add rules and regulations up to the moon, and it still will not work. Because all the rules and regulations means is we need more lawyers and more courts and more lawyers and more courts and more lawyers. And more. That doesn't solve any problems. It just keeps plugging up the holes that we find out in our system because we're pulling in the, op in the wrong direction. We're supposed to be pulling each other closer together, which is what covenant does. Instead, we're trying to pull ourselves further apart, which is what the quid pro quo system does. In order for God to fix this, I mean, he's fixed it from the beginning because his answer was right from the very beginning. How many of you know that? <clears throat> it's our system of mammon. It's our system of, get, you know, get all you get, can all you get, sit on the can that has created this impossible, it, 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 it is a system that it is impossible for itself to succeed. Right. It just eventually breaks down into nothing and will always do so. Right. We just happen to be in a moment of time when only parts of it are falling apart but it's eventually going to fall apart completely simply because of what I just showed you, okay? So that's really important to know that in the very nature of a, a human being, in, its, in a human being's popular nature in our world today, mixed with the quid pro quo system, it's a, it's a catastrophe waiting to happen. And why God is asking us to consider if a covenant system is not a better system, not just for in our marriages and in our homes and in our relationships, but also in the way that, which what that does is it creates an ability for me to understand how to relate to my heavenly father. If I can understand my relationship with Tina better, then I can understand then how to relate to God better, okay? If I blame Tina for everything that goes wrong in my life, come back when I'm praying, and who am I blaming for everything going wrong in my life? God, it's easy. If you're a complainer and a blamer, you're a complainer and a blamer. And I'm not saying that's bad. It's bad, but you can fix it, okay? <clears throat> and so we look at now, uh, last time we were together, we talked, first of all, that, that when we started this, we talked about the relationship, why God is so crazy about this relationship with mammon, this world system of quid pro quo. Me, you, me looking to, to protect and provide for my own life. When everybody does that, eventually the system is going to fall apart and fail. Why God is so interested in each one of us dealing with the, you cannot serve two, two masters, either you serve mammon. Mammon is the ability to protect and provide for myself. Right. Now that could be money, that could be, uh, you know, whatever, status, could be an education, could be, and I'm not saying money or education or status, none of those things are bad. As long as they are not my source and my mechanism in which I trust, in which I serve, the serving part is the key part. So when I am, for example, in what they're doing now with the tither's rights, when I am a tither, what I am actually doing is I am renewing my vow with God to serve him and not mammon. I am laying mammon on the altar and serving God with my mammon rather than hitting the golf course at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and I'm now using God to serve mammon, yeah. right? 
because we're going to network amongst all the Christians because they have a lot of money and they can buy my product. That's using God to serve mammon. That's very common in our world today. Because of that, God says you must choose, and your tithing is actually the the weekly demonstration or the reminder to yourself, because we all have something else to do with our tithe check today. We could all take a vacation with what was in the offering today. We could all do those things. And every time I would make a decision, what I'm actually saying to God is, God, I've not moved. You asked me to be faithful to you. You asked me to leave my girlfriend at the door. I'm leaving my girlfriend at the door, right? Tina said, on the day we got married, she said, if I had a black book, I didn't have one, but let's say I did. She would have said, that goes in the fireplace or else I'm not going to the altar. Wouldn't you say that's a smart move for Tina? Yes. Right? I'm shockingly good looking. And so you know, (laughs) I need to get rid of that black book. Is that true? Would Tina say, you know what? That's okay. Keep the book and I'll still marry you. How many of you think that's, she's a knucklehead. Isn't that, wouldn't you say that? That's all that God is saying. If you want to get married, if you want a covenant with me, the girlfriend's got to go. Right? I'm looking for a monogamous relationship with you. And this is how you're going to, on a weekly basis, prove that. <clears throat> now, you don't have to prove it. I'm not telling you that you are, I'm not requiring of you to tithe. If you are required to tithe, that's like being required to get married. How many of you know you are not married if you got required to get married? If we tricked you, we said you were in a Christmas play and it was going to say, and I do, and all of a sudden we told you afterwards, actually, how many of you say, uh uh-uh, uh, I out? Right? I can't trick you into it. I can't force you to do this. This is a voluntary action. All I'm trying to get to you is realizing how all of this structure actually fits together in God's mind. Many people say, I'm a Christian. I have a covenant with God, but I don't tithe because that's Old Testament. That's like me saying, I have a marriage with Tina, but I commit adultery because the rules against adultery were actually Old Testament. How many of you would say, yeah, I'm not sure that would, I know Pastor Tina, that would not fly. How many of you would say that? That's the same argument. Instead of realizing that the God of the Old Testament is still the same God of the New Testament, he didn't change. What he said he believed in the Old Testament, how many of you know he still believes that stuff? Because he does not change. And he does not say something that is going to change based on time because he does not live in time. Because if he said it at the moment of the Old Testament, he's still the God of the New Testament when he said it in the Old Testament because he sees both at the same time. That makes sense? So if you think that things are changed, you need to go back to your theology and say, I'm not sure that that's actually happened because I know God does not change. So God himself, what God himself said, now how we interpret it and how we use it and how we live with it is different because we're different, but not God being different. Okay, so you talked about then the bride issue, the bride of Christ, where we understand as a New Testament revelation that we are in covenant with Almighty God. That is the objective of the New Testament. God does not want you to join a church, although he's happy with that. He does not want you to carry a Bible, or he's, although he's happy with that. He wants you in a covenant with Almighty God. That's always been the plan. When God interacted with, Abra- uh, with Adam, it was the plan. When it was Noah, it was the plan. When it was Abraham, it was the plan. When he got Jesus on the planet, it was the plan to get humankind into a covenant, an active, life-giving, flourishing covenant with Almighty God. He's always wanted to be the, the, the inner power within a human being. That's always been God's objective. He created this natural world. God cannot live inside this natural world because he is too powerful to be inside something so small like our universe. 
The only way he can do it is to get inside you. Then being inside of you, a co- an active covenant relationship is what God has then to get, ac- to get uh, uh, effort, access into this world that we live in. And that's always been his desire. So we discussed then last time we were together that it's a preparation. I tell you that one of the biggest problems in our world today is most people think that they, got, they entered a covenant with God when they walked into the back of a church, probably stoned and living with their girlfriend, and they knelt down at the altar and, be, and entered into a covenant with Almighty God. Can I tell you something? That is akin to you meeting somebody in a bar, heading to Elvis Presley's altar and getting married before you flew home. There is absolutely no way that that is what God had, had, had anticipated. We were woefully unprepared to enter into a covenant with Almighty God the day we met him. There is too much involved in what a covenant actually is. And you see that in Paul's writings where he said to uh, the Corinthian church and he said to the Roman church, he said, it's my job to prepare you as a chaste virgin to go from being spotted and wrinkled to getting spotless and wrinkle-free by the washing of the water of the word so that I might, future tense, present you as a chaste virgin to your husband, the one who was raised from the dead, his name is Jesus. And so you can see in that, that Paul talking to the saints, talking to the Corinthians or the Romans, whatever, the recipients of those letters and saying to them, I need to be really careful about what is going on in your mind right now because the battle for your mind to get you to be actually ready as a chaste bride, ready for the covenant is a process that is right now embattled. There are forces that are being arrayed against you to complicate the, 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 the situation to such a degree that you have no idea whether, you're, whether you are knowingly entering the covenant or not. That's like a contract, right? I showed you the other night, you know, it's a nine-page contract in order to listen to a song on iTunes. That thing that you said, I agree to quickly get to your song, what you agreed to is a nine-page contract to listen to a song. That's how our world works. It is so, comp- nobody in North America has ever read that contract. You don't know if they bought your home when they, they, you gave them their home, your home when you did that. Because it's so complicated. Can I tell you something? Paul says it like this. It's simple. The process that we are talking about is so ridiculously simple Even a child could understand it. As what he said, the battle for the mind is the battle that makes everything about this process so complicated. If you get somebody that's going to come to you and complicate your relationship through Jesus to God, if people are making it all full of doctrines and debating Greek words and Roman words and, 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 and Old Testament, New Testament, making it so complicated that the average person goes, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. He says, that is the battle. That's the problem. We have made it so complicated. And so when, as we're doing that then, we need to realize this is, if it doesn't make it simple, as simple as anything to understand, then we're going in the wrong direction. If I'm not simplifying your world by talking about covenant, 
I'm going in the wrong direction. Does that make some sense? The final piece is that covenant is about fruit. Covenant is about fruit bearing. And so when you are analyzing whether or not the covenant is activated in your life, all you need to do is look for the fruit. Not talk about the fruit. You open the barn door and you look at the fruit. Because that's very, very important, especially in our world today, which has become so deceptive that so many people, including Christians, talk so much about fruit when if you, if you, if you opened up the, 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 the doors, you'd find out there wasn't any. Right. And, and I'm not saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not criticizing anybody other than myself, right? Am I looking at my life right now and saying, how much fruit am I really bearing? And as long as I can say, well, that's your fault because you're a lousy congregation and it's the government's fault because they're lousy and it's Donald's because it's, you know, somehow, I don't know how it's Donald, but we'll figure it out later. All I'm doing is pointing outwards. That's complete, covenant has nothing to do with pointing outwards. Until we understand what covenant is, the covenant makes it super simple. We could actually solve problems and we can make tomorrow a better day for us and those around us. It's super simple if we just understand the concept of covenant. Okay, number one, there must be a desire to fix it. Can I tell you, it's so fun for me sometimes to do marriage counseling with people, and if I've done that with you, I apologize for letting your laundry fly out like this, but it's so easy to fix marriage problems because all you do is listen for the first 45 minutes of the hour as they complain about each other, which is what they all do, or else they wouldn't be in marriage counseling because if you blame your wife, if you blame your spouse for something, you'll eventually blame them for everything, and so you just have to stop that. As soon as you take responsibility for it, the problem's over. You won't even need my help anymore. You'll just say, Pastor Ian, you are the most amazing. No, it's not me. You've just started to take responsibility for what's going on in your life, which is what covenant does, okay? All right, you must be willing to forget the apparent failures of the past, and we must be willing to relearn, relearn the basic concepts of what it means to be in a covenant. And so what we need to do then uh, first of all, you must become a covenant person. You cannot do covenant things thinking that you are a covenant person, wow. right? Because I can, I can be madder than a hornet at Tina and I can kiss her, which is a covenant action, by the way. And she knows that I'm just bugging her, right? There's a difference. I'm just stoking the fire right now by, by planting one right on her when I know she's madder than a hornet at me. Isn't that true? It's a covenant action, but not done for a covenant reason. So you cannot do covenant things. You can only become a covenant person. Then when you become a covenant person, everything you do then will automatically, and I, yeah, some, of these, some of these sentence structures are not gonna be great for you yet, but everything, once you have become a covenant person, then the motive behind everything you do is the right motive, simply because you have become something. Okay, which we'll discuss and we'll make, I'll make that clearer for you. But it says covenant is simply a matter of becoming something. Right. Once you become it, everything else is solved because you have become something, okay? Covenant is not about me at all. That's the key. This is why we're gonna struggle so hard. Africa is gonna have no problem with this. North America is gonna struggle with this because in a North American person's mind, it is my job to take care of me. Me is in every thought you have as a North American person, unless God has started the journey already to get me off of your mind. But covenant hasn't got anything to do with me. 
As a matter of fact, it is about uh, the other person. It doesn't benefit me. Let me think about that's not That's not exactly the way to say that word sentence. My mind as a covenant person never thinks about how does this benefit me in even the smallest way. Yeah. It does benefit me in a ridiculously amplified way, but that's not my issue. And I'm not to think about that. As I, and hopefully I'll get to the end of this, wow. Before, um, before the end of the year, yes. Before the end of today. It's easy to measure the progress of a covenant, by the way, right? It's easy because covenant is a life-giving environment. It only can be life-giving. And so if it's not life-giving, then it's not covenant. If the fruit of your covenant marriage, business, whatever, if, or, or with God, if the fruit of your covenant with God is not creating a synergy, which means you are greater than the sum of your parts, then it's not covenant. Wow. And it's easy to do that. Yeah. Most North Americans would say, my life is pretty much the same as it was before I met God, except now I go to church on Sundays and I'm a much better person. At least I would declare myself to be a much better person. <laughs> but the productivity, the fruit of what I do, a fruit of my life has not increased. The way, imagine, I mean, the fruit of Tina and I should increase us to be more than just what Tina could do individually or what Ian could do individually. But it shouldn't just be 5% more. Covenant creates a 100,000 billion times more because of the strength that we can offer one to another. That's what synergy is. Imagine what's my relationship supposed to be like with God. If I really enter into my covenant relationship with God, how much should I look like I have increased? Because now it's like God 100, Ian 1. So the, the product isn't going to be 104. It's, it's going to be like 400. What does 400 look like in relationship to the one that I started with? Do you see that? That's the magnitude of what is supposed to have happened in our covenant relationship with Almighty God. That's like Abraham, when Abraham went into this, did no Bible, no Jesus. Abraham just had a covenant with God, a nomadic person. Now, this was a covenant age. If you do not survive in a nomadic land without covenants, he didn't have any except the one with God. And he goes from a traveling sand dweller to the richest, very rich. So much so that kings of the area were trading and negotiating with him to make sure they could coexist with him. He was that rich. When Sher de Leomer and these guys, kings, nations, surrounding nations came and attacked his area and took his, cousin, his nephew, Lot. Abraham took soldiers, hundreds of soldiers from his household, went against the, the kings and their armies and defeated them. Does it sound like Abraham got a grip on this, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward promise that God gave him? It would appear that he got that. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have nothing, but he understood what it meant for a human being to covenant with Almighty God. Abraham went from one to 400. And that's what we need to be looking at in our present day. If Abraham 
without the Bible, without the training, without the Jesus, without all of these things, which we have enormous, we have the enormous benefit of all of those things as we stand on the shoulders of other people. Can I tell you something? We are living woefully underneath what God has given us. And we start to today. Boy meets girl. So when we have a covenant, let's try to understand if we're having a covenant with somebody like Ian and Tina, then Ian and Tina are married. We have a covenant with one another. God uses this relationship, the, bro- the, the husband and wife, the, bro- the Christ and the church, to show what is my relationship with God actually like. And so he's saying, uh, a relationship with God is likened unto a husband's relationship to his wife. And so we can take a look at this and we can find out what does that relationship actually look like? And how does it work? And how does it work well? Particularly, can I say, where we're going to start today is, how did we get into a covenant? Because what happened, as you can probably tell, is because, again, I am so shockingly good looking, Tina met me one day before noon, the very same day she dragged me to the altar and married me that day because all she really cared about was how good looking I was. Can anybody tell me whether that's a true story or not? Right, especially the shockingly good looking part. The issue is there is a preparatory period. And this is where most of what is modern Christianity has dismissed that. We went through 100 years where Jesus was coming back tomorrow, and so we made it so that everything, salvation, filled with the Holy Spirit, water, baptism, covenant, everything, your complete righteousness, the whole package is all said and done. Pray this prayer really quick, because you could get hit by a bus when you leave church today, and we want to make sure you go to heaven, not hell. Are we done? Can we pray now? I'm not saying that it can't happen like that. I mean, I'm sure that if you were going to get hit by a bus on the way out of church today, then God could make a way where if today's the day, then you could get everything in one package and zippity-doo, off to heaven you go. But that's not the normal way this happens. Matter of fact, it would be irresponsible for me to have two people who just met each other yesterday and asked me to marry them today. It would be irresponsible for me to say, absolutely, get on up here. You're You're totally ready. How many of you would say that would be not a wise thing to do? Instead, there is a preparatory period, and we can look at the preparatory period and to see whether or not each one of us, have we actually knowingly entered a covenant with Almighty God? Because salvation, the cross, is actually the covenant sacrifice of my covenanting myself to God through Christ. Problem is, most of us really have not understood even what a covenant is. And so we've come into it like, you know, two, three-year-olds that are getting married. They have no concept at all of what they're actually doing. And so we get into that now where we're trying to put demands on our relationship when we don't even have one. Because we don't understand how do I do covenant? And what is my heart? What is God's heart? And what's our relationship together? Boy Meets Girl starts with this. It starts with, with meeting each other. And then it goes to dating each other, and it goes to courting each other, okay? Then we're going to get to the place. Now, this is all a process of time, right? That's that's what's necessary here, right? Because every guy looks awesome on the first date. It's six months later when the cracks start to show. 
right? When the foundation starts to wear off. That, do, you know, do you know what I'm talking about there? And so you have to allow time and experience to prove to you that the relationship should be jumping these gateways. These are real gateways. Meeting somebody and just being a friend a group, in, a, in a group and you're just all friends, for you to jump the gateway of saying, I want to become exclusive and I want to date you, that should be a real decision. It shouldn't just be, oh, we've been hanging out in our youth group long enough now, I guess we should date. That's not how this works, right? This is the passing tests, not passing time, okay? You pass tests to move along here. Now take a look at that relationship that we have with God. When I meet God, now I should, be, I should be getting to know him. Not entering a covenant with him yet. You're not ready. You don't know if you can trust God. You don't trust God because I tell you to trust God. You have to trust God because you trust God. Because you've met him. Because I've gone a season with him. I've, got, I've had a journey with him. And he's been a jerk to me. And he's left me out in the cold and he eats the last piece of pizza and he doesn't take care of me and he doesn't protect me. Then get out of here. Why are you wanting to go any further if even in a group setting, you don't think God's awesome? Or maybe the guy you met wasn't God. We'll talk about that in a minute. Or you didn't think it was God or you misunderstood him, right? It's like, like Alex, he'll tell you that I was a mean and nasty father. Now, he's a father. He doesn't think quite so much anymore, <laughs> right? It's perspective sometimes. And so then, you've got, then dating, this is now exclusive. Now you find out girls is, 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 you know, here you go Dutch. Guys are supposed to take care of you. So we're dating and you're still going Dutch. You know, see that, that wood thing back? That's the door. Because he needs to take care of you. Right? If she's, if she's not taking care of you and honoring and cherishing you, then that's, that's enough. Go back here. There's no way you get too far down here. Right? And that's how God's is with us. If you start wanting to date and you don't honor him, you don't, that's what Jessica was doing today up in, pray, in, in worship. Can you tell God you love him? Do you have anything more than God, you're awesome, God? Right? We have to learn how to honor him, praise him, lift him up, exalt him, cherish him. You do start watching for those things here. Right? Do you provide for God? Because God, you know, God needs stuff. I know this is terrible. God can't come here. You know, if God wants to kiss Tina, do you know who he uses? Later. If God needs stuff, he needs us. He's got lost children. He's got a world that doesn't even kind of know his ways. He needs people to start rescuing folk. We're his uh, green beret. We're his Marines. We're his undercovers. We're his people that he can use to go and rescue people. So if we're not, do, when he, in our relationship with him, if he's looking at you and all you're doing is sitting around saying, what color Mercedes do I want this week? Then it's like, okay, mm, God's going, yeah, yeah. Mm. Now I'm not saying God is like that, but 
he should be like that. He's got a, how many of you know the Bible said 3 John 2 says that you prosper even as, you're, as God gives you blessings? No. no, it's you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. God requires us to work through this passing tests. Not because God needs to know whether you can pass them or not, but because the taking of them is often the reason that you are the passing of them. If you don't take them, you probably won't pass them. Do you see what my problem there is? There's just never a test. So nobody knows, particularly me, whether I qualify to make it through the journey. And it's no problem failing a test. But if you fail a test, what do you do? You You take it again. Go around the mountain, take it again next year. Go around the mountain, take it again next year. Don't worry, we'll teach you about tithing next year too. Don't worry. (laughs) Dating then goes to courting. Courting is that place where you are actually now a couple. You're now exclusive. You're now getting ready. You're now thinking that's a potential, if a person has made it this far, that you're actually ready to do this. This whole process now in our relationship to God is where we get to know God. It's a proving of three kind of, you know, if you look at it in a a natural sense of boy meets girl, you're looking at compatibility issues. Are you spiritually compatible? Which is where the yoking happens where you are yoking yourself to another person. Are you spiritually the same? Not just are you both Christians, but are you both kind of at the same level where you can run arm in arm, right? If you, if you don't have that and one person tries to go and they got shorter legs and longer legs, you know, it's not, the three-legged race is not going to work well. And I'm not saying that, I'm not, please don't hear me putting boundaries. I'm just trying to explain how this works to you. And if you can cut corners wherever you like, I'm just telling you how it works best. So spiritually, you, if you want to decrease the amount of problems that you have in your covenant, make sure you're, 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 you're equally yoked with that person. Then you are dealing with the spirit, that's first. If you're not equally yoked, you don't even get past meat. Because it'll, be, it'll become problematic right away. They want to go, you know, golfing on Sunday morning, you want to go to church. Already problems. Right? Then this next level is in the soul. The soul is where we decide if we like somebody. And so liking somebody is about relationship. It's about companionship. It's about interest. It's about your dreams. It's about your desires. It's about all kinds of human-to-human compatibility issues. You know, and and I would go on and on and on with that. But you're really determining that with God. Do you like God? Can I tell you something? I I did not. I loved him because it was required of me but I did not like him until quite recently. I know you're all looking through the yellow pages right now. We're gonna find another jerk. No, can I tell you something? It pleased God to put Jesus on the cross. How do you like somebody who likes to punish other people? That's my problem. I said, God, I'll serve you, you are God and all but I don't like you. I don't like that you are requiring me to sacrifice for the benefit of other people. I don't like that idea. Do you know why? Because I was not a very nice person. (laughs) 
Have y'all got your mirrors in your purses? Can you just take your mirrors out for a moment? And... <laughs> you see, we don't like to sacrifice. When we are not better healed, we don't like to sacrifice for other people unless there is personal gain involved. And so when God says, I'll give you, I'll, I, it's, it got, um, <laughs> love, its very nature, is completely, it never thinks about itself. Not one time has God ever thought of this. God has never said this. How do I feel today? He's never said those words. His world is always in such perfect harmony and unity and it, the temperature is right, and the food is right, and the, everything is perfect, infinitely perfect in God's world. He's never had a thought, am I cold today? Am I hungry right now? Is the coffee too strong, too weak, too much cream? He's never had that thought. The only thing that ever has crossed through God's mind is something other than himself. So when God is trying to make us like him, and we're wrestling to get him to be like us. It's a wrestling match that we have, and we look at loving things like Jesus, God putting Jesus on the cross to rescue you. I love that part because it's to my benefit. Now God wants to put Ian on the cross to benefit another person. Nah, you see, not liking that part quite so much. It's the same God. And it challenges me to break through to an understanding of how is this to Ian's benefit to sacrifice his life for somebody else? If you don't ever understand that, the covenant stuff, never gonna, you're never gonna get covenant. You're never gonna get covenant because covenant is love. It is absolutely nothing in my mind about this is for a personal benefit. And then all of a sudden, pow, the, world, the whole world of possibility opens up to you. So when you are relating to God now, do you like him? Do you like when you finally get $3 in your pocket after saving for a month, he asks you to go buy somebody for some, something for somebody else? Do you like that? You see, a lot of us don't like that. We don't actually like God. We serve him because we don't want to go to hell. That's how we were introduced to the whole package, right? You don't want to get hit by a bus today and go to hell, do you? Get up here, pray, 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 pray. <laughs> That's not covenant. That's a fire insurance policy. I bought it, prayed a prayer, got salvation, perfect, I'm out. Instead of understanding, that wasn't what God was intending at all. God was intending a whole life of interaction with you to create the absolute best life you could possibly ever have on this planet, ever. But we fight against it and we fight against him because we really don't, we haven't come to the terms of I actually like this person, right? right? It's like, the, like uh, you know, again, not stereotypically, but it might be a bit profiling here. Uh, women like malls, guys like to not spend money, <laughs> right? Let's say, I'm, and it's not by no means is that universally true. But a woman who is looking at a guy, she, she likes him because he's rich maybe, but he's rich because he doesn't spend his money. And then she finds out that although he's rich, he doesn't want her to go and blow it all one weekend at the mall. She doesn't like him. Do you see that? Because they're different. And they have to come to terms with what that means. Do you like the fact that I am like this? 
Because I'm, I, you know, we'll talk about the rest of it later, but do you actually like that? Do you appreciate it? Do you honor it? Do you cherish it, even though it isn't like you? You have to come to those kind of terms. And that really is this courting. The more you move through this, the more you're opening up the doorway to the other person's life. What often happens, imagine our culture now, the ultimate doorway is down here when you have marriage relationships. You know what those are? You know, the, okay. The, we do that stuff up here. And all of a sudden, the whole thing is now a hurricane. Because we did stuff out of order. You got to do this stuff in order, right? And if you do it in order and you work your way through this process over the gateway, over the gateway, over the gateway, carefully deciding to move the relationship because you have passed the tests and you know what tests there are. And now we know, okay, good. Let's move on to the next level. Good with you? Good with me? Okay, we're going to move to the next level. The next level from this, if I could take the last nine minutes until, so at least I could get done in the morning. Is, the next level is called betrothed. We call it engaged in our culture. Betrothed is what uh, Mary and Joseph were when we met them in Matthew chapter 1. And so it would appear that Mary and Joseph are already married. Because they're going for a census somewhere, and Joseph and Mary are going there. Not Mary and her family and Joseph and his family, they're going there as husband and wife, except they're not quite husband and wife. They're engaged. This time of betrothed is a time when you act like you are in covenant. Oh, sorry for the bad color. B-E-T-R-O-T-H-E-D. Betrothed, and so, or engaged. You act like you are in covenant, except your house has two beds. Do you understand why? And so, in this stage, you get everything that goes with the covenant, except that one thing, but, and you start testing that person to see whether they can actually do this. Can they do what they say they're going to do? Which is the next one, the next moment here is covenant. What we're looking for when you are betrothed is, will that person actually give their life for me? And then more importantly, although that's very important at this stage, will Tina actually give her life for me? I mean, give her life. I mean, last piece of pizza, she lets me have it. More importantly, more importantly, what I'm looking for is, will I give my life for her? Because I need to be very aware of both of those. Okay? If you do this process correctly, this is why. When you cross over from betrothed to covenant, this is your last chance. To consider anything about the other person. I'll tell you how to, this, I mean, this is gonna, if you'll use this, it's going to transform your marriage. If you go through, even if you didn't do this right, you just make this decision right now. I remember, because I've, I've said this so many times to Tina because I've not been so great at this, but I've said, I, I don't require you to change in any way. That decision was made right here. I'll take you the way you are right now. 
If Tina, from this moment on, decides to change anything, it's because she wants to. It's not because I have asked her to. Everything about this moment now is finalized. All of my decisions, is she what I want? Does she please me? Is she so, am I physically attracted to her? Am I attracted to her soul? Do I love her spirit? Do I love her dream? Everything. Do I like the way she crosses her legs when she says to, everything. Up until this point is all negotiable and I can walk away. Once I step over this line, it is, you're in. And there's no more discussions about it. If you did not, if you decided not to take this process seriously, it doesn't matter. As long as you are no, and this is where we have a little bit of a gray area right now, many people have entered their covenant with God not even realizing there was a covenant. So we kind of tricked you in a sense. And it is important that you make that decision. Not today, if you're not ready today. It might take you 30 years to make this decision. But you need to do all of this to see do I real, would I really like to be covenanted to Almighty God? Do I like him? The, this is, now, this is, the, this is the, the mic drop moment. If you ever consider, from this moment on right here, if I ever consider that Tina is not being faithful to her side of the covenant, I am betraying the covenant. Just by wondering whether she'll do her part or not. All I'm concerned about, matter of fact, the minute that I took to think about, jeepers, is Tina doing right by me today? If I took that minute, I said to Tina, from now on, my life is yours. Okay? If I decide for one of those minutes that my life is my own for a second, and I'm going to complain, even if it's only in my own mind, what have I done? I've betrayed the covenant. Okay? Why is that bad? It's bad because trust is the backbone of covenant. Consider now, four more minutes. Consider now two armies. Okay? And Alex and I are the kings of two different countries. And Joy is our is the king on the other side, queen on the other side. And we are going to do battle against Joy. You know how this is going to turn out, right? She meditates. So, <laughs> Alex and I know we can't just show up with our shocking good looks and expect that we're going to win. You know why? Because she meditates, okay? So, Alex and I already have this decision. We already had our little powwow around the campfire. And I, I'd said, I said, I will come in from the north and take her army out in this way. Alex will come in from the south and take her army this way. She meditates, so we need to do this right. Problem is, I can't see Alex coming from the south, and he can't see me coming from the north. Stand over there, Alex. As we're both coming in and doing our part, but we can't see each other, let's put the white, no, forget to put the white button. You can imagine that I cannot see him. I take a step, I'm going after it, we're gonna do this. We got this joy kid, I know she meditates, but I can do this. 
And all of a sudden, this thought comes in, and both of us, advance forward, Alex, and he's thinking the same thing. We got this, we got this, we got this. And all of a sudden, I have a thought in my mind, maybe Alex is left. Maybe he's not going to show up. Maybe he chickened out. Maybe he didn't, maybe it wasn't clear for him. Maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he's not good enough. Maybe his army has left. Maybe, maybe, what's happening to me as I'm doing that? I'm doubting. What's happening to my movement? It's slowing down, right? What does that mean? Alex is not slowing down because he's not having any of these thoughts. So he's coming in. He's coming in. Take two. He's coming in, but I'm slowing down. What's happened? Who's going to get who's going to get their tail busted up? He is. Why? Joy meditates. And so Alex because because I doubted him, I slowed down. He didn't slow down. He didn't doubt me. I slowed down putting him in jeopardy. Now she's going to take care of him. Then I'm going to see, "Oh my gosh, Alex actually showed up. I better get better get back in the game so that I look good on church on Sunday." And then by the time I get there, she's going to route me too. Because she meditates. What you have to be able to do is when you cross this covenant line, all of the doubts and all, I've settled it all. It's, what was the song we were singing today? Whether I sink or I swim. It doesn't matter to me anymore because I'm in. It doesn't matter to me whether I live on this planet or I die trying to do this. It doesn't matter to me. I have already given myself, right? If I have that relationship with Tina, I have already given myself completely to you. I'm not thinking about myself anymore. I'm not worried about whether you're doing your part or not. I'm not judging you. I'm not keeping score. I'm not figuring out whether somebody else does it better than you. I'm not doing any of that. I'm refusing to think any of those thoughts. Instead of that, we just keep on running forward. She doesn't think it either. And then what you have is you have this accelerating strength that comes and synergy that comes from your relationship because you didn't doubt. So watch what has happened now. This is the, where's the mic so I can drop it? No, those are too expensive. Let's pretend this is a mic. Why doesn't the covenant work? It must be because God is not faithful to the covenant, right? Wrong. That's not how it works. When I, because God is completely faithful. God made a covenant with you when? Do you know? Excuse me? Before the foundations of the world. He made the covenant with Jesus before he even created the world that he was going to covenant himself with. Right. Now, surely if he was going to change his mind, he would have changed his mind way to heck back then. He's not going to change his mind. The problem is, when I doubt God, what it does is it causes me to slow down and slow down and slow down. And God was going to create the victory all the way. Even if the victory was I was going to fall flat on my face and then get super strong so the next time I didn't fall flat on my face. That's good. Well, that bounced back. The... It's okay for me to learn. If I have humility, it's okay for me to learn because I'm not pulling back out of my own selfishness. Oh, what if he, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? I've already set, that's settled. Settle it over here. And take the time now that you understand this. Settle it with God. I don't need to look good. 
I don't need to have everything turn out my way. I don't need to be the, the smartest guy in the room. I don't need to be the guy that ends up with the most toys at the end of the day. I don't need any of that stuff. Any. Maybe you do. Be honest with yourself if you do. Because all that's going to do is if you step across this covenant line, it's going to be what tears apart your covenant. Because yeah. you didn't really come across this line saying, I'm giving it all to you, God. All of it. I'm, I'm good. I'm done with fighting. I'm done with scratching and scraping in the earth to see if I can get enough worms for dinner. I want to know what it really means to be a human being, a child of Almighty God, in covenant with Him, empowered by Him from the inside. That's what I want to know. I leave before I kick the bucket. I want to know who was I supposed to really be. The only way to find that is on this journey. The problem is when I doubt God, I remove myself from the benefit of the covenant. Just like I did when I was, we were fighting joy. Me and Alex were fighting joy. If I doubted him, I ended up being the one that betrayed. Do you see that? Yeah. It isn't God that betrayed us. Right. We doubted, we crossed this line, and we continued to doubt. We crossed this line, and we weren't really sure who God was exactly. We crossed this line, and we still had a little bit of, yeah, but I want this part for me. And those things are what caused us to doubt. It caused us to become afraid. It caused us to become selfish. And as soon as we became selfish, that selfishness finally grew until now the marriage is on the rocks. Like most Christians would say, if this is a marriage, mine's on the rocks because we don't talk much anymore. I don't depend on him very much anymore. We live in the same house, but I think most of it is just, I do it by myself. You see, marriages died or became comatose. That's what the relationship with God is about. Instead, it was never supposed to be like that. Yeah. Just like your marriage to your spouse, it's supposed to get better and better every single day. If your greatest memory was your honeymoon, you need some help. Yeah. Unless your honeymoon was yesterday. <laughs> Covenant gets better and better every day. It gets stronger and stronger every day. It grows. It's alive. So if your relationship with God, you'd say, yeah, it's, it's on the other side of it. It's, we've fallen out of love with each other. I don't like him that much anymore. If it wasn't the whole heaven and hell thing, I'd probably be golfing right now. I'm telling you, nobody explained to us what was actually available. That's all. So maybe you're here today. Shut your eyes for a moment. You know, a lot of us, we were child brides. A lot of us were brought into this because maybe an arranged marriage between your mom and, and God. And we got you when you were four, but you didn't really know what you were doing. Maybe you just hung around so long, it made seem like the right decision to go and pray a prayer one day. 
maybe you weren't like that. Maybe you just stumbled in with great needs and God was your last chance at life working. You didn't really even know him or care about him. You were just desperate. And then somehow you got into this, not really ever making the decision yourself to serve God, to honor him, to cherish him, to love him, to care about him, to give your life completely to him. I, it was just never part of the equation back then. We, were, we all came because of fear, dread, and selfishness. We all needed God. There's nobody in here, nobody in the world today that met God because of some awesome part of their personality. We all came because we needed something from him. The problem was we didn't necessarily have the time to decide whether we wanted to marry him, whether we wanted to share our lives with him forever, whether we wanted to have a husband. Women know what it looks like to be, have a husband. Men don't understand what it ha- means to have a husband, a husband who you will obey. Because men are, be the, are the ones who are supposed to be obeyed. In God's order, we don't do it like that anymore, but in God's order. So when men come and they enter a relationship with God, they're the bride. They're not the husband. So we often don't know what it means to do that and obey. Do what we're told. Follow instructions. We're the ones giving instructions. So there's a season for that. To figure out, can I do it or not? And so... We're all going to find ourselves in various different places. Maybe my perspective with God is that I've tested him a whole bunch of times and he failed. I'm hearing that it wasn't him who failed, that it was me who failed, but I'm not convinced of that yet. I'm not willing to let those things go. I don't think I would, could trust God right now. And so you need to take a season. Maybe today isn't your day. It's an important decision. It's an adult decision. It's real. Just like if your son or daughter came to you and said they wanted to get married to somebody, that's real. You can't just get married to somebody because of words. Lots of people can use words. You want to get married to somebody because of deeds, because they have demonstrated their ability to be something. So many people get trapped in, I really think this person is who they say they are, not who they have demonstrated themselves to be. And then they get married to somebody only to find out that they're actually the person that they demonstrated themselves to be. Everything else was a con. You have to settle those issues with God. Is he conning you? Is he trying to get you to do something for him and doesn't care about you? These are all real questions that have to be answered as a mature person, as an adult, as a, you're about to give your life to this person. And there's no holding back. Covenant is not 72% of you. Covenant is 100%. God has already said to you, beloved, I am with you always, and all that I have is yours. 100% of God is being offered to you in exchange 
for 100% of you. There is no 99-99, there's no 50-50. There's only 100% for 100%. Everything else is just an agreement. It's just a contract with limitations, with boundaries, with limited liability and limited access. Covenant isn't like that. Covenant is 100%. It's a very hard thing for a North American to do. So if you're struggling, that's okay. It's okay. If you're struggling in your marriage, giving yourself and asking nothing in return, that's a lot for a North American to do. This is the way. So put your hand over your heart. And say, Holy Spirit, it is my desire to become a covenant person. I want 100% of me off my mind. I want to know what it's like to give myself completely to God. I've hung around for a while. I know he's good. And I would like to get engaged. It's not permanent, but it'll give me a season when I can see if I want to spend the rest of my life honoring, cherishing, and serving my husband, my God. And Holy Spirit, as I go through this week or this month, Help me to see that I can trust God, that I can put my life completely into his hands and I'll be the better for it. Help me to see that this is a good deal for me. Help me to see that from now on, from the moment after I make a covenant with God, I never have to worry. I never have to be afraid. I never have to doubt him ever again. Holy Spirit, your job is to teach me the truth. Your job is to show me things to come. So help me to see what's it going to be like when I enter a covenant with Almighty God. In Jesus' name.